Hi, everybody. Just to let you guys know, experienced um, some microphone and technical issues with this interview. So the quality um, isn't going to be what you're used to, but um, it, it's definitely not the worst it could possibly be. It might sound a little different, but um, I really look forward to to launching this episode because of just the amazing guest. Charles is great and um, a lot of the wisdom he shared. So hope you enjoy it. This podcast is brought to you by the Toronto School of Management's NCA exam prep program. The TSM NCA prep program offers internationally trained lawyers courses taught by practicing lawyers in Canada, expertly designed study guides, exclusive networking opportunities with top Canadian law firms, and employability sessions arming you with all the tools you need in order to hit the ground running in your pursuit to practicing law in Canada. To find out more about the program, you can email NCA prep at torontosom.ca. Welcome to A Shot of Life, a podcast aimed at highlighting personal journeys of professionals and entrepreneurs in Canada, taking a snapshot of the person behind the professional title. I'm your host, Anton Haswell, and this is episode 14 of our National Committee on Accreditation Journey series. My 14th guest is Charles Osuji. Charles obtained a Bachelor of Laws, LLB Magna Cum Laude, from the Faculty of Law, Imo State University, Nigeria, graduating at the top of his class before proceeding to the Nigerian Law School, where he graduated with a barrister at law in 2010. After he was called to the Nigerian Bar, Charles moved to Canada to pursue his legal career and was admitted to the Alberta Bar in 2014. Charles is the managing partner and CEO of Osuji and Smith. He is one of the leading young lawyers in Canada. He has been chosen as one of the top 25 most influential lawyers in Canada, the Entrepreneur of the Year by Diversity Magazine, and repeatedly voted as one of the top three employment and business lawyers in Calgary by three best rated, among other awards and recognitions. Hi, Charles. Hi, Anton. Hi, yeah. Thank you uh, for agreeing to be on the podcast today. Pleasure to be here. Great. Um, I was uh, kind of serendipitous. I saw your your activity on LinkedIn and actually from um, an advertisement that uh, sort of rated you as one of the top 25 most influential lawyers in Canada. So I heard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it got a lot of uh, publicity and I thought, wow, what an amazing guest he would be, you know, with your with your background and I can't wait to find out a little bit more about you and and what led you to to get here and to get where you are today. So I, I usually like to start these conversations, Charles, by just sort of asking where you're from um, and what inspired you to want to practice law and what inspired the um, the decision for you to come to Canada. Right. So my name is Charles Osuji. I'm originally from Nigeria. I was called to the Nigerian Bar in 2010, and I immigrated to Canada in 2011. 
and the inspiration for studying law was really my penchant for reading. And I love to read. Mm. And I noticed that as early as, you know, six, seven. And I remember growing up in my brother, one of my brother's house, his name is um, Reverend Father Anthony Osunji. He is um, a Catholic priest. Mm-hmm. Growing, up, growing up under him, I had two choices. Either I was sleeping, sleeping or I was reading. So, right. you know, I developed the love for reading as early as possible. And I wasn't good at math. I, I, I hated numbers. It just didn't make sense to me, numbers. Mm-hmm. And um, I quickly realized that maybe the, you know, the love for reading could be channeled towards um, law. And I also have love for analysis, now analytical thinking, trying to right. understand, you know, rationalize the problem and, you know, proffer some solutions to the problem. So I found myself in that space and, and, and I did very well in law school. In terms of coming to Canada, the inspiration really uh, was the fact that my oldest brother, um, Dr. Joseph Osuji, who sponsored me to Canada, um, had moved to Canada with his family. Okay. And I also do have uncles and aunts in, in Calgary here. Mm-hmm. So it was a very easy decision for me to make to choose um, Canada and specifically um, Calgary, Alberta. Right. And and you've been, you I guess you you immigrated to Canada and you've been in Alberta ever since? Yes, I have. Nice. Well, that's good. Alberta is a nice area of the of the country. It is home. So I'm I'm a little bit uh, you know. First of all, I, I share what you have to say about math and numbers. <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> definitely not my specialty either. And I think, in some ways, like my uncle was a lawyer and uh, he was an economics major. But I think that's pretty rare. I think a lot of lawyers that analytical skill, and I guess you can have that in math too, obviously, but. I think with reading, reading comprehension, and an ability to solve complex problems, I think that we all kind of share that in some some regard. So, um, uh, you, when you were sponsored to come to Canada, was it your mission and your goal to practice law here, or did you kind of hit a reset button and think you may do something else, or was it always going to be law? Yeah, that was the plan, right? Because by the time I came here, I had already become a lawyer in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So all my training, education, and experience all committed into legal practice. Mm-hmm. So the goal was quite focused and particular, right? So there wasn't any confusion whatsoever as uh, as to what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I think that is also helpful. And we're going to talk about that a little later. Yeah. It's very really helpful for you to have uh, a very particular goal. It, it cannot allow any confusion. Um, to trickle in because when confusion sets in, then there is divergence of purpose and divergence of of um, of your hustle. Right. Right. So I knew that for me to prosper uh, in this land, I needed to be focused on a particular area of industry, and it was law for me. Great. Yeah, I think that is important, right? Because you can get easily distracted. There's a lot going on in your life. Oh, absolutely. Uh, 
Yeah. So in some ways, it's good to hang on to that one constant that you have. You know, if law is a passion, you're good at it. You did well in law school and you want to challenge yourself to do it here. So when you come here and you still you have that goal, um, you you must have encountered the NCA process. Um, I'm always curious to hear how internationally trained lawyers came to know about the NCA and how you found that accreditation journey. Right. So before I came here, I did my research, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something I would recommend um, to a lot of people listening to, to me uh, and to both of us to talk. Mm-hmm. Do your research and, and understand the requirements before you set out from your comfort zone. You know, some people try to put the cart before the horse by coming here first and then digging up information only to realize that if they had known what they know now, they would have taken some steps, you know, right. they would have made different choices, right? So it's important for you to hit the road, do up your research. Uh, we're in, a, in the information era where information is available, you know, your fingertips. Mm-hmm. So I did my research, understood what the requirements were, so even before I graduated law back home, I had in mind that the ultimate goal was for me to practice here in Canada. So I started reading textbooks and, and some materials that were actually beyond the, the curriculum and the scope of studies in Nigeria, knowing fully well that you know, I would come to this space and to be competitive, I would have a lot of challenges and needed to get ahead of ahead of my peers, so to speak. So I did read up about NCA, and fortunately for me, uh, I do have family members here um, that are quite established. You know, they were able to connect me to one or two lawyers that are already practicing here. So I picked up information here and there about them. And my experience um, of NCA, I actually didn't find it very difficult. Yeah. You know, I, I found it relatively easy coming from my jurisdiction, Nigeria. You know, back in law school in Nigeria, the, the the training is very rigorous, and you know, it's closed book system. Mm. Uh, it is very challenging. If you overcome that process and, and come over here, it's usually um, a walk in the park, so to speak. I remember when they told me that NCA will be open book, I thought they were joking. <laughs> right. The idea of walking into the exam hall with your books was an anathema. Like I couldn't even fathom the possibility of that happening. Mm-hmm. And I studied NCA as if you know I was gonna be writing a closed book exam. And you know, I read the books cover to cover three or four times. I you know, consulted various materials. I had my reading group. I looked at past materials, past questions. And when I had eventually attended exams, I I was still thinking at the back of my mind that the idea of a, an open book was a trick, you know, to, right. <laughs> to, to pick a few people. And indeed, it was an open book system, but I didn't really need to look at the books that I had with me because I had read those materials over and over again. Right. And I found exams quite um, easy, relatively speaking, compared to wh- where I was coming from. Right. So that is my experience. I think the people that fail the exams are the people that either 
underestimate the need to be prepared because it's open book or you know new Canadians that get distracted with hustle and you know doing two or three jobs without really making the time to study and to read mm-hmm. and then when they eventually write the exam they realize that they're not prepared enough because even though it's open book system you need to know the materials you need to understand the question because if you don't understand the question it doesn't matter how many books you have with you you're going to get the answer wrong right no i think that's good advice and i think it sounds like um the exams were pretty simple because you did you know, sort of almost militantly approach the revision and the studying yeah. and reading reading text. And I think it's important. I've spoken to other internationally trained lawyers who say you can be, um, there are some, you know, some tutors out there and some groups on Facebook that will suggest just, just buy my notes and you don't need the textbook. Um, but everybody who's sort of made it at the end, at the other end of things suggests that Actually, you should buy the textbooks because oh, they yeah. provide the context um, and the foundation, and then the notes are used basically for revision and Absolutely. when you're in the exam, right? Absolutely. I read the book, the notes, maybe a day or two before the actual exam because when I read for NCA, I wasn't preparing myself for NCA, so to speak. I was right. preparing myself for practice. I needed yeah. to understand how things worked here. I didn't understand the, the substantial legal system, the procedures, and I knew that eventually I would be a lawyer. So mm-hmm. why, read to, why read to pass instead of reading to know and equip myself um, with enough information to start up a career here? Yeah, I think that's actually really useful, uh, useful strategy that you have to remind yourself that Sure, these are exams, but you should be studying not only to pass an exam with 51%, but because you want to learn how best to practice law in Canada and what the laws are, right? I think yeah. it's easy to lose sight of that. So, yeah, no, that's a really good piece of information. Um, so I suppose your advice for, for new NCA candidates would be to dedicate enough time, right, for studying. You were saying that there are some people who just really don't have the time. You know, they're mm-hmm. managing two jobs, this and that. But mm-hmm. if you can find time, then the time and then the care to uh, to read and reread all of the materials that are included in the syllabus. Absolutely. I took about four months off from work. So, you know, I was doing my hustle, mm-hmm. you know, survival jobs and there, but I knew that those were distractions. Yeah. And so I hustled back to back for about four or five months and I stayed home for another four months to dedicate my time towards preparing mm-hmm. for NCA. Nice. And, I like, and that yeah. yeah, that's good. And so you complete your NCA exams. How many did you have to do? I wrote five. Five. Okay. Yeah. That's that's pretty standard, the minimum. Yeah. Um and so when you complete your NCA exams, um, do you write the bar exams straight away or do you begin articling first like how how did that work for you so during my time you would have to secure articles first okay and upon securing articles you would then qualify to register for at the time it was called cplate which is the, yep. bar, the bar program here so i had to i got lucky i found articles within two months of getting my 
certificate of qualification. Oh, nice. Yeah, I had applied to many places. I wasn't receiving any call back. And the only call that I received uh, was uh, the office that I own now. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> right. And um, my first interview, my first and only interview, and I onboarded that time in 2013. And, and I started my CPLED December summer. Of mm-hmm. 2013 and I was called to the bar in 2014 August yeah wow so that's easy I mean yeah it's good you didn't really waste any time I mean it sounds like you were really driven and knowing yes. exactly what you wanted to do and you did it which is right. great I think it's easy to get distracted like you're saying you know if you've got some side hustle and you know you're you're maybe getting um distracted by making money um it's easy to just keep going down that path but it sounds like you know you stopped that because it was a distraction from your your one true goal right which was to to get practicing so i was i mean you you made mention of that it's it's the practice now that you're managing partner of that you article that um how like i guess maybe speak a little bit about that like what what do you think, because I mean, what I've discovered in talking to lawyers is that the exams are just exams, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're just for you to give your knowledge on a piece of paper and you move on. Um, right. But being a lawyer is something different, right? It, it takes, you have a lot of skills, like, you know, you need your hustle, but you also need, I think there's got to be an element, if you're going to be in a managing partner role, you know, some salesman type mentality or an ability to sell your product and services. I'm just curious about what you think makes a really successful lawyer in Canada these days. Right. Good question. You know, until I purchased a practice in 2017, uh, I thought being a good lawyer (laughs) meant knowing the law and being able Mm -hmm. to, you know, help your clients go from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. More way. I mean, you could be an excellent lawyer and do very well in-house or work for someone else. But if you're going to own your own practice mm-hmm. and run a successful legal practice, you would have to have a, a mismatch of skill set, right? You, you need to, number one, know the law or yeah. know where to find the law, they say. And you need to be able to sell yourself. You need to be able to exude confidence. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to brand yourself. Your branding skills must be on point. Um, packaging, unfortunately, the legal industry relies a lot on optics, right? The way people see you. Right. That is what gets people to the door. And then what you know will now deliver and, and sustain the relationship, right? So you need to be able to brand yourself. You need to be able to sell yourself you need to be able to think big mm-hmm. um i guess as we as we talk i can share a little bit about my my story you know going yeah. from the student to owning only the firm yeah um, a lot of you know thinking big a, a lot of having good people uh, in your circles people that see 10 15 years ahead of yourself mm-hmm. and and people that can see the future people that can see what you cannot see regardless of your experience and your your history right well it's yeah so i sometimes i ask people you know where do you see yourself in five years and 
there are people who who struggle with that question because they're so focused on the here and now like they don't want to screw up what they already have <laughs> you know they want to they want to make sure they have what they have instead of starting to think um you know a little bit greedy about what you want mm-hmm. so uh it sounds like that you know looking ahead and picturing yourself in 10 to 15 years helped you right you know the, the irony is at the end of the day I, what i tell people is in as much as you're making these long term plans right i mean we've seen covid-19 we've seen a lot of things happening in the world that we never anticipated so to speak mm-hmm. in as much as it's good to be futuristic in our thinking um the most important thing is to be prepared right My preparation is very critical be prepared and don't lose sight of the immediate stage you are in the process in your journey right right you know back in law school i know a friend that left law school to go into army and from army he went to the states and then at the end of the day he he lost track of the immediate need to pass law school because mm-hmm. he had this big grandiose plan right and he ended up being caught to the bar like three or four years after us. Right. Ended up going back to law school to finish up. So it's very important to always focus on that immediate challenge that you're facing. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with, with long-term goals in sight, but still don't lose sight of the immediate goals. You're, you're writing your NC exams, focus on passing the exams. Mm-hmm. You are articling, focus on learning and passing your bar exams. Right. All to the bar, focus on learning the law and expanding your network. So emphasis on preparation. And that was what helped me. In as much as I came here as a student and two years after I was called to the bar, I became a partner. And then a year or less later, I took over 100% of the practice. I couldn't have been able to sustain these opportunities if I was prepared. You know, two, three years into practice, I was running the firm. I was responsible for sending work to young, the younger lawyers and other lawyers in the firm. I was responsible for bringing in work, branding, marketing, business mm-hmm. development, and doing the actual work um, for my clients. Because the first two, three years of my practice, I was doing seven days a week. Putting in, putting in the time, asking all the questions, making all the mistakes, I was getting prepared. Mm-hmm. And when the opportunity came about, I was ready to first of all identify the opportunity, and secondly sustain the opportunity. If I was not prepared, this firm would have cracked. I mean, I, I I've taken the firm from two or three lawyers to where ten of us now online, yeah. and in the space of three years and you know, the growth has been exponential because preparation has met opportunity. Right. Well, it's, it's very inspiring to, and I'm sure a lot of people listening who, you know, maybe just starting their journey to hear that, you know, the, the, you know these, these things are possible if you apply yourself, right? You, you always hear that saying, um, you're capable of whatever you put your mind to <laughs> and, and it's it's it really is true you know if you if you really put the effort in you do things and you, you know you if you know your own potential and you put it in then good things can happen so 
you're you're well on your way. Sounds like it's great. What kind of uh, what kind of law is your firm? Um, uh, what kind of law do you service? So we into everything pretty much, other than criminal, mm-hmm. right? So my plan is to have two or three lawyers that focus on on a niche area of practice. Mm-hmm. Right, myself, I do a lot of employment law. You know, some business and some family and civil litigation generally. I have one or two people that do personal injury. I have real estate. I have immigration. I also have a lawyer that helps me with some you know, family work and wills and estate. So, so that is really the plan. I want my firm to be a one-stop shop right. for any particular area of legal inquiry. That sounds great. <laughs> great. So um, when you reach the point that you're at, and then it comes across my timeline on LinkedIn, <laughs> that you're one of the top 25 most influential lawyers in Canada, what does that mean to you? And how did that come about? Like, what, what happened there? Right. So before now, you know, I had won a few awards. And the fact that um, my journey is a little, a little unique, you know, did capture some attention right. in the past few years. The fact that, you know, a young man like myself came to the country and within a few years uh, took over a firm of over 37 years old, right. you know, that went viral and got people's attention. You know, but I wasn't distracted. I was still focused on on the goal. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I became aware sometime early this year that I'd been nominated for the, you know, top 25 award. And I, I brushed that off. I was like, the whole of Canada? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, to be a nice thing to have, you know, being nominated for this prestigious award because I've I followed top twenty five in the past and I you know we do we we subscribe to the to the magazine mm-hmm. and we've seen the the class of people that you know that always won the award you know people that started here their career has always been you know rooted in in Canada right and I felt. Maybe I didn't have a shot because I'm international trend. People don't know me that much mm-hmm. in Canada. Or no, in the internationally trained lawyer circles, um, people may have come across my story one way or the other. Right. But not to the, the point of having a real shot at the award. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I knew it was possible because, I mean, I never thought I would be here. And right. he's back. So everything was possible. And, you know, they requested some information from me. I gave them what I needed to give them. And then a month or so ago, I received, I listened to a voice message from the magazine that, you know, I was a winner. So right. I, was happy. I was happy about it. Yeah. But most importantly, I... I I'm dedicating the award to, you know, so many folks out there that have heard so many negative things about their, about their ambition, right? Mm. I remember back in the day when I came here, someone um, did mention that, oh, Charles, 
a judge won't even understand your accent. Don't even give, don't even bother. You know, I, I heard that from him, and he's he was more or less projecting his own fears to me, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I I'm very happy with the the recognition, more so the impact it would have on on the morale of people right. like me um, who are thinking of you know leaving their comfort zone, whatever that is, uh-huh. to you know take that leap of faith to come to a place like Canada to establish a good career. You know Canada is a place where hard work is rewarded and if you are in the right circle and you know dedicating your craft and and focusing on being better and being a good person as well in as much as we encourage to learn the law we cannot lose sight of being a good human being a human a human person because we're dealing with real people here mm-hmm. we're dealing with people that have trusted their matters into our own hands. You know, the, the amount of trust right. that is involved in the lawyer-client relationship is unimaginable. You know, these people are more or less trusting you with the next steps in their lives after 20 years of marriage or after 35 yeah. years of employment or after saving for five years to buy a business or to buy a property, they are completely relying on you. Right. You know, um, I had an epiphany last week. It was an employment law matter. My client had been offered, he worked for a company for 10 years and he was offered about five months of, of severance. And I helped him negotiate up to eight months of severance. And he emailed me and said, Charles, I want to accept this offer. And I called him back and said, look, we can actually give the negotiation another round. Mm-hmm. At that point, he was completely relying on me. Right. You know, he was just asking me, Charles, what do you think? And I made the call to pursue one round of negotiation and it worked out. He was, he added additional 5,000 dollars to his offer. Oh, you wow. Know, yeah. In the middle of a crisis, that, that means a lot of, there's a lot sure. of money for you know, for someone that is unemployed, you know, so that's the power that lawyers have. Mm-hmm. And that power requires lawyers to ensure that they are competent, they are knowledgeable in the area of their chosen practice, and they are, you know, they're good people. They're, they're seeing people as people and not just our, our numbers. You know, the choices and decisions we make are actually affecting real people. And real people are relying on our advice to decide on whether to move forward with, with their lives or to, to continue pursuing litigation or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Well, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly a privileged position, but it, it's also one that carries a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it, it's one that, I, I, you know, you can't take lightly. And um, that's good. I mean, it's, it's important, I gather, for you, like you... you you feel that way, but also the lawyers in your firm, it's important for you to make sure that they feel the same way too, so that every client you get is treated the same way. And uh, that sounds great. So it's been, it's been inspiring, Charles. I mean, you're, you're inspiring me to get going and <laughs> go do something too. It's, Thank you. Uh, yeah. 
it's, I mean, this podcast, for instance, it, it was just basically me looking to, because you see, like, the, I mean, I don't know if you know, but on Facebook, there's all kinds of groups that exist out there now. There's at right. least 10. Um, and a lot of people have questions that I think, you know, there are some people who answer the questions who are incorrect, <laughs> you know, like, right, right. so it's, it's not a bad thing for everybody to learn from people who have been through it, you know, who have struggled. Um, you know, sleepless nights, passing exams and things like that. And uh, I hope, obviously, I mean, it's nice also for you to say that, you know, you're kind of dedicating in spirit the award to people um, to motivate them, right? To to try something different or new, or if they're on the fence about maybe coming to Canada to pursue law, yeah. um, then just just kind of do it, um, <laughs> if, you know, and be dedicated. So that that's great. I, I was wondering if you had like one piece of advice that you were given that really helped you in your journey when you were, you know, a bit younger, um, when you got to Canada that you think would benefit other internationally trained lawyers who are um, new to Canada or, or planning on coming to Canada? Well, I have a bunch of them. I'll share. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> I'll stick to one, you know, okay. this is your question. Connection, ensure that your connection is sincere, okay? Mm. A, a lot of your success uh, in, in anything, you know, would depend on relationship, mm -hmm. right? Relationships, and this is why the, the best in class may not be the best in life, right? Right. Because the other person that is, you know, is the last in class is probably, does probably have very good relationship skills or some social skills. Mm -hmm. And it's, this is more so for international trained professionals who are leaving their comfort zones to come to a new country and start all over again, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, back in law school, you may have developed some reputation, maybe in high school or university or law school, you've developed some reputation. You develop some relationship with professors, uh, practicing lawyers, mentors, you know, and you leave all of that behind to come to a new country where, you know, you're metaphorically naked or professionally naked and you're starting all over to build a, a persona or personality for yourself. Mm -hmm. And one tool that will be needed and that will be front and center in building that personality and professional network here is relationship and networking. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge difference between networking and connecting. So I'm talking about connecting now, not necessarily networking. Networking is you meet someone, you just talk for a few minutes, exchange cards, and nothing comes out of that relationship. Nobody follows up with yeah. the other. There's no follow-up coffee. And, and network is also not transactional, right? I, I've mm -hmm. received, you have no idea how many emails I receive on, on LinkedIn or elsewhere. And the very first thing the person says is, hi, Charles, your story is inspiring. I'm looking to come to Canada. How can you help? Right. Right. Um, this is where, um, what, you know, the person doesn't even know me. The person hasn't even asked, okay, how is practice? Right. Oh, what is your journey? Can you tell me a little bit about your story? Oh, I, I watched this interview. You said something about this. Can you just share it a little bit further on it? So you see that there's 
that sincerity in that relationship is lacking from get go. Right. And for most people, it's a turn off, right? Because nobody really wants to be used, so to speak. Yeah. So, so if you are reaching out, if you're a new Canadian or you're thinking of coming to Canada to to practice here, you're gonna need relationship. You're gonna need to you know connect with people, and when you're connecting with them, be sincere in that connection. Don't let it be transactional. Don't look at it as what are you gonna get from this relationship. Also, look at it from what are you gonna put in. How yeah. is the relationship gonna benefit the other person, regardless of this this stage that person is in their career. It might be the prime minister. It doesn't matter. What can right. you add to this person's life? You know, and, and and how can you make the relationship mutually beneficial? Eventually, once the relationship or the connection stems from that foundation, then you see it, you know, it, it just flowers and, right. and blossoms, right? And then you, you realize that the person is now more eager to go above and beyond to help out because everybody simply yearns for that sincere um, relationship and connection. All right. Well, that's a really good piece of advice. I mean, I think um, there are some people who who go into, uh, let's say, a LinkedIn message thinking, oh, you know, Charles is the managing partner of a law firm and there's this perceived power imbalance. Right. Um, and but really, if they can approach it as just, you know, I'm a human being approaching another human being. How can right. we help each other or how can we, you know, like you said, establish a connection first? And then mm-hmm. the networking almost comes naturally after that in some ways. Like if you establish that connection, then something good will come of it, whatever. It may not be what you initially planned it to be, but, um, you know, I think I, I agree with that. I think that's human relationships in, in business are so important and law, you know, effectively is business in some ways. Right. So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. So, Charles, I mean, I, I did say earlier that I've started this podcast for other people to learn, but I'm, uh, like this one in particular, I'm really happy that I was able to speak to you because I learned quite a bit too. Um, you know, your journey is inspiring. Um, and I hope that people, when they listen to this, they understand that no matter what kind of shortcoming you think you have, mm-hmm. um, there is opportunity. And like you said, Canada is a country that rewards hard work. Right. Um, and, you know, there's no limit to what you can accomplish if you just put your head down and, and hustle, right? Right. Yeah. So I, I'll, we'll, we'll end it there, Charles. I really appreciate your time. Um, and again, you know, I'm really excited to, to, to launch this episode that, so that people can learn from, from your experiences. And shout out to you, Anton, for what you're doing. Okay. I, you know, when when you sent me the email on or the message on LinkedIn, and and you, it didn't take me more than two seconds to agree to this because this is this is what most people are yearning for. There's a lot of knowledge or information gap among the internationally trained professionals, right? Mm-hmm. And most people come here and they have that idea, that mindset that. You know, some people are not accessible. You know, oh, no Charles may not reply to my message. I don't know if Charles can, you know, spend time to tell me about their journey. 
So what you're doing is really to bridge that gap and and showcase the, the stories of the, the folks that have really succeeded in you know putting their acts together as an international trained professional. And when people hear stories like mine, they know that it's doable. Definitely right. doable. I mean, if Charles can do it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. A lot of people can. Yeah. Well, that, thanks for that, Charles. I appreciate that. And, it, you know, if I can help, I've gotten some good messages from people who say it's really helping them. Um, and that's all That's all that matters, really, to me. Um, so, um, again, thanks for your time. Um, I wish you you know, good luck um, in in continuing to build your, your practice and your firm and, you know, who knows what's on the horizon, but uh, maybe, you know, in a year's time or something, we can catch up again to, to check in and see how things are going. But for now, uh, I really, I wish you good luck with everything and thanks again. Thank you, Anton. I appreciate the opportunity. that does it for episode 14 of a shot of life i hope everybody enjoyed that one i'm still buzzing a little bit after that conversation what a an inspirational path charles has taken and he's you know definitely blazing a trail for internationally trained lawyers to follow Uh, being nominated and recognized as one of the top 25 most influential lawyers in canada having just been called to the Alberta Bar in 2014 means that, you know, the the sky's the limit for him. And hopefully it's an example for people who are thinking about making the trip to Canada in order to pursue law as a career. If you're immigrating with your family and you have a law degree and you're, you're already practicing in your home country and you're hesitant, you know, is it possible? I always get questions. Yeah, but what's the job market like? What's the salary that I'm going to get? You know what? It is what you make of it. And Charles, let Charles' story, and please download it and re-listen to it when you're feeling a little bit low, um, less inspired, because uh, I bet you he can get you back up to where you need to be. I'm going to include Charles' LinkedIn bio in this episode's description so that you can connect with him and, and learn more and hopefully you know, follow some of the tips and hints that he was able to drop in this episode. Um, really amazing guest and uh, wish him all the best. Um, and really looking forward to, to releasing future podcasts with him as well as other inspirational and inspiring internationally trained lawyers paving their way in Canada. And until the next episode, we'll speak again.